How dare others' emotions get in the way of my lazy and mindless Friday night? This is Humanities with Sephora. School was wrapping up for the year, and on most Friday nights, when we're not committed to events or activities, we have a family movie night, like many families do. On one recent Friday night, I claimed the best seat on our sectional and stretched out in anticipation of some fun and relaxation. I usually have to prepare a short list of things to watch before we sit down to make a choice. If I don't do this, we will spin on the topic long enough to get dizzy from all the spinning. We will annoy each other, our moods will sour, and then the next thing you know, we just give up and go to bed. Alas, the night will be over even before the night has begun, and no Friday night should end this way. Now let me set the scene. After dinner, my older daughter went upstairs to take a quick shower. My husband sat at the kitchen table going through the day's mail. My younger daughter was comfortably spread across the chase lounge part of our sectional, cozied up with her glow-in-the-dark unicorn blanket and working away at manipulating her butter slime. From my favorite spot on the sectional, I asked, Okay, team, what should we watch? Adventure? Comedy? Animated? Bollywood? Hollywood? British, Korean, a movie, a series, what are we in the mood for? My husband usually prefers animated movies, probably because with two daughters, there aren't any scenes for him to cringe at or to fast forward through. My younger daughter is often in the mood for comedy action because she loves to spontaneously jump on her part of the sofa when she's excited. This is why we let her have the chase lounge part so that she doesn't land on any of us in all her excitement. I heard my teenage daughter's feet coming down the stairs. I rattled off a few options from my curated list, to which my husband and younger daughter simply shrugged. Having made her entrance, I turned to my older daughter in hopes she'd have a selection we could get the others to rally around when she says to me, Mom, I'm so stressed out about school. I'm going to do really badly on my upcoming tests. And thus, it began, the unraveling of our Friday night. I know I may be stating the obvious here, but the reason we watch a movie or something on Friday nights, when we're not otherwise busy, is to allow everyone to be distracted from their problems long enough to be lulled into sleep. If I cannot sufficiently distract my family, the issues of the week build up and by Friday night, their problems become my problems. And well, in that moment, I had this bad feeling it was about to happen. I do the maternal thing where I ask my daughter to come over and give me a hug. I ever so gently pulled her to my chest for a squeeze. Outwardly, I want my children to know I am here for a cuddle, but I am also trying to muffle any of their squeals with affection. She started to cry over an exam or two, and then somehow or another, we were distraught over all of life's teenage problems. My husband did what I think many parents do and yelled, be quiet and stop crying. And we all know that works, doesn't it? Then even bigger wails of sorrow came forth from our daughter. My husband raised his head to take in the room. I think he's going to come over to console her because even though I gave birth to these children, daddy hugs solve all problems. He stands, picks up the envelopes and flyers, and instead of coming our way, he heads in the direction of the mudroom and garage to recycle all the paper. He certainly knows how to make a purposeful exit from any scene. I sat processing my feelings of abandonment and adjusting to my role as a solo parent in the situation, 
Well, let me rephrase that. He left because he knew his strengths lay elsewhere and that I was probably the best lead in the situation, even if my hugs are second class. I looked over at my younger daughter. She was still engrossed in her new slime and wasn't paying any attention to us. I think she's acclimated to this very usual level of drama in our household. Without feeling as though I've neglected her, I felt better about focusing my attention toward my teen. I asked if she'd like to get some fresh air on a short walk around our cul-de-sac. Her response, no, mom. Then I asked if I had permission to go for a short walk to take a break. The answer was, no, mom. I tried to exit the scene gracefully, but had no luck. Once again, I tried selfishly to suggest we watch a movie, hopeful my husband would meander back to the family room and that we could all refocus our energy. This did not work. It sent both girls into a tizzy. I was interrupting the little one's slime fun and the other was too consumed in all of her own very real but sad narrative. Family time was a bust. I suggested they go ahead to bed and that I would watch something on my shortlist. This did not please them either. I mean, they may not want to watch a movie, but damned if mom's allowed to have fun if they are busy or in misery. Trapped in this situation, when I got up to get some water, my daughters went off to their rooms. I left my teen alone for a while as I tidied up the house. Then I decided to go up to check in on her, and there she was, laying in bed, staring at the ceiling. I asked if she'd like a hug and then snuggled in next to her. Without being prompted, she described how she tries to tune out all the frenzy in school around tests, but that it's taking its toll on her and she feels really terrible. With the Pandora's box of issues that had opened earlier on the sofa, I heard more about everything that is going wrong. Now, I am grateful that my daughter shares what's going on in her life, what's on her mind and how she feels. I'm her mother and I want to comfort and console her. But sometimes, you know, you just don't want to hear all of it on a Friday night when you're tired and would rather be watching a movie. After I successfully calmed her down, I shared with her that it's good to sometimes just stop and step away from the assumptions you may have about how you're feeling and to try to reset and understand how you actually feel. This way you can solve the problems causing that feeling to thus improve how you feel. I gave her this simple sample scenario. If you're cold, you put on socks and wrap yourself up in a blanket. But what if you're actually hungry? To solve the actual problem, you need food in your belly, not socks on your feet. She took pause. I said, I know those are kind of obvious physical feelings, but emotions sometimes aren't obvious. They can be very nuanced and have their own definitions. Understanding them and knowing what to call them helps immensely. After listening to her further, I then said, I think what you've described is that you're feeling disconnected from others and isolated in your approach to creating a certain headspace before you take your exams. To be honest, I don't know if that was right or wrong, smart or not, but I did realize I needed to revisit Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart. More on this in a bit. My little one heard a lull in the commotion and found her way into her sister's room and claimed the other half of me for snuggling. Clearly having overheard our exchange, she looked at her older sister and said, you know, when I went to the school counselor recently, she told me that when you have a problem, it's good to write it down on a piece of paper, then to give it to someone else and then ask them to hand it back to you. Because sometimes it's easier to understand another person's problem more clearly than you might understand your own. At least that's what I did with the school counselor. Three things to note about my younger daughter. 
She is generally lighthearted, has a good crew of friends, and is an excellent problem solver for herself and others. So for her to say she couldn't solve a problem for herself was very much the equivalent of dropping a bomb on us. We both turned our heads to her and were like, wait, the school counselor? What's going on with you? She, of course, started to cry. Mom, you know, I have issues at school too. Well, what's going on? Well, I can't tell you because it's too hard to describe. And then began a game of 20 questions. Is it about Rachel? No. Is it about a project? No. Is it about something that happened at the playground? No. Did something happen on the bus? No. Did something happen in one of your after-school clubs? No. Well, what did you write on the index card you gave your counselor that she handed back to you? Mom, I can't tell you, but that doesn't mean I don't have big feelings. As I lay there with my shoulders drenched in the tears of my children, I wondered how to get out of this mess. My mind turned to a book I'd started listening to but didn't finish because my loan from the library expired. Yes, I checked things out from the library, even audiobooks. I loved listening to the author, Brene Brown, read it aloud in her own voice. She took the time to repeat certain points so that they could really sink in. I knew I wanted these statements in front of me to review in the future, so I purchased the hard copy as reference material. As I mentioned before, this book is called Atlas of the Heart. Using the metaphor of a map, Brown identifies, defines, and describes how, and I quote, human emotions and experiences are layers of biology, biography, behavior, and backstory. While I've only gotten through a quarter of it so far and touched on a few other sections, it was mind-opening. For example, I've learned about categories of emotions and the nuanced differences among stress, anxiety, overwhelm, and worry. I'm realizing how important it is to understand the detailed descriptions for emotions so that you can help yourself navigate to their sources and to possible solutions. Again, this may be obvious, but I never knew what distinguished envy from jealousy. I would use them interchangeably to describe what might be going on with other people. But envy and jealousy are very distinct from one another. Envy is about wanting something someone else has, and jealousy is related to relationships. See? Mind-blowing. For me, at least. Now, I would love to get my husband and kids to read our hard copy version of this book, but I know that's not very likely. Little do they know, it will be our audiobook selection for our next family road trip. Again, Brene Brown's narration is wonderful, so they'll love listening to her voice. And I really want my entire family to share a vocabulary for emotions and be on the same page. No pun intended. Back to the girls. So while we didn't come up with any solution for my older daughter, and we never got a reveal on what my younger daughter's problem even was, we did indeed feel the relief that comes from a good cry after all our big feelings. We made our way downstairs to find my husband asleep on the couch. I explained to the girls how sleep is one way to deal with stressful situations. They laughed, but it's true. They snuck up and tackled their dad. Everyone giggled, popcorn was popped, and whatever movie we ended up watching was forgettable. Just what I'd wanted for our Friday family night. Thank you for listening to Humoranities. Enjoying the podcast? Please take a moment to rate it. And for more musings, visit humoranities.com and be sure to follow on all social media platforms.